message this afternoon is based on the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Belgic Confession, Article 1. You can find Article 1 of the Belgic Confession, page 499 in the Book of Praise. Uh, if you don't have that book available to you, it's also uh, available online. You can just Google uh, Belgic Confession, Article 1. This confession is uh, also called the True Christian Confession, uh, originally written in 1561 and adopted by the churches at the Synod of Dort. It was a confession written to prove uh, to the world, to the king at that time specifically, but to all the world that the Christians are law-abiding uh, citizens, uh, no rebels at all, and the contents of this confession, uh, the people of God are willing to stand by the content of this confession with their own life. You can even see that in the introduction uh, when this copy was first given, uh, the church said that they would offer their backs to stripes, their tongues to knives, their mouths to gags, and their whole bodies to fire rather than deny the truth expressed in this confession. The full name then of the true Christian confession, sometimes just called the confession of faith and containing the summary of the doctrine of God and of the eternal salvation of man. And in the first article, the church confesses uh, there is only one God. We all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is only one God who is a simple and spiritual being. He is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain of all good. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, everybody in the world knows that there is a God because there is a God. In the world, there is a long history of different religions and different cultures and as a result, we see many conclusions about who this God may be. Some people worship divine powers that are connected to nature's powers. Some believe that there are powers with personal names who are directly controlling the circumstances of a person's life and their well-being in the afterlife. Although some of the more recent uh, secular philosophers have tried to declare that God is dead. God is not dead, and so even the denial of any God, which is called atheism, it has become its own man-worshipping religion. As a result, most people in North America uh, simply live their lives acting as if God wasn't real. This name that they're called practical atheists. They act as if there is no God. They know there is some power, but they don't allow that God to influence their lives. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness, we read in Romans, and they say things like, if there is a God, he doesn't influence my life in any way. Well, the problem is that all these conclusions are merely guesses. As people try to explain what they are experiencing, in their own small little corners of the world, in their, in, in their own time. Christians 
accept the existence of God by faith. When we walked in the display text or when we uh, gathered together around the, the screen, the display text was Hebrews 11, verse 6. It's by faith we believe that God exists. And by God's grace, we also know Him to be the Lord in heaven from all that He has revealed Himself to us here on the earth. The confession of faith of the Christian church begins with the statement that we all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is only one God. Every Christian believes this, so we say we all believe and confess. Not only does the church's public confession give us transparency, it also unites us to the Catholic or universal church of all times and all places in the world. We all state what we believe in our public confession so that the world can know about the God that they are searching for and that they can also join us in worship as we bow before the one true God united in our confession. The first article of the Belgic Confession is the answer to our prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us that God's name might be hallowed. And in our confession, we do this with our heart and with our mouth, as we read in Romans 10, verses 9 to 10. Faith in God forms the very identity of Christians, and their worship is an essential part of their very existence. Christian children learn at a very young age that there is one God. Every Sunday we praise our God for all the works that, we, that His hand has done. The statement that there is one God and a partial list of His perfections that God revealed to us is the starting point of all that we believe and confess. And I preach to you the gospel that God is holy love in all his perfections. We'll see if the one true God is holy and the one true God is love. If you look at the confession, you see that we use many words to describe God, but we do not use all the words that we could use from Scripture. We could think of some more descriptive words such as omnipresent, that he's present all over, or omniscient, that he knows all things. And we could also speak specifically of God's works, his anger, his mercy, his vengeance, his love, and holiness. And some of these characteristics are included in the other words. For example, omnipresence fits under infinite, without limit in space. And omniscient fits under perfectly wise, that he's all-knowing, that fits together with his being perfectly wise. Some of them are dealt with in the other articles of the Belgic Confession. For example, you can read more about his mercy in Article 16. And some of the words that you could think of that might be missing in your mind from Article 1 are made evident when you look at the big picture and, and combine all the words that are used in the list, like Colossians says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. Well, the holiness of God is confessed 
when we join all those other descriptive words as they highlight how set apart and how different God is than anything else in the universe that he created. God's holiness is clearly displayed in Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters of Scripture. The first verse of the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see from these words that God existed before time, and then he created time, and he created the heavens and the earth in time. God is holy because he is eternal and outside of time and its rigors. In fact, when he created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, God revealed that he is outside of all physical limits as well. And as an infinite, unlimited God, he can be in every place. As we read through the first chapters of Genesis, we see that God is almighty, for he displayed his incredible power when he simply spoke from his heavenly throne and there was light on the earth. And he separated the, the, the light from the darkness and he commanded and the earth and the sea produced living things. And trying to wrap our minds around such a creator and trying to put him in, in one of the the earthly categories that philosophers may have come up with, like the absolute or intelligent designer, we realize that God is actually beyond human capabilities. We can know what he revealed about himself, but we, we reach the limits of our knowledge. We try to describe God. He is knowable, but it is not possible to exhaust our knowledge of him, for he is, as we confess, incomprehensible. We cannot reach the limits of God's holiness. As creator, he is completely separate from every creature that he made. He is holy. Our God is holy. And that's why it, it doesn't work to just take what we are and compare ourselves to him as if what we are and what we know is the standard by which we can use to describe God. There's a distinction between who God is and, and who we are. And the distinction, although we may use words to describe God that are basically negations of what we are, and if you look at the list in the confession, you could see that. We, we are changeable. And then we confess, well, God isn't like that. He is unchangeable, immutable. We are visible, so God is not that. He is invisible. We are limited, finite, but God isn't like that, so he is infinite. And so we arrive at a description of God based on he being what we are not, or, and also he being greater than we are. We have strength. God is all strength, almighty. We have some wisdom. Well, God is, is perfectly wise. And then we realize again the limits of our understanding, the limits of, of our experience. And we have to be very careful that we don't let our limits and our experiences limit who God 
is. And as we use this language in our confession, we need to remember that God is completely different than us. That's why the philosophical proofs for the existence of God so often fall short. And why God doesn't even try to prove his existence. At Genesis 1, God just was there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is not on the same continuum as man, as if he were some sort of super version of what we are. God is completely different. That's even difficult to try to, to put into words. But maybe it happened one time when you were traveling and you, 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 you tried a natural uh, fruit that was native to the land you were traveling to. You'd never experienced this fruit, but you ate it and, and now you have to go back to, to Canada and you have to try to describe that fruit. But there's no point of comparison. There are no words. We can only say, well, it's, it's similar to something else. And what do we always say? We say it tastes like chicken, right? Kind of tastes like chicken. That's the, that shows the limits of something when it's a new experience. And that's what we mean when we confess also that God is a spiritual being. That difference between man and God is expressed with those words. God is a spiritual being. Being. The words come from John 4, verse 24, which states, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, God is spirit. That doesn't mean that he has a spiritual body that is like ours, but only in some wispy form, kind of like smoke or, or steam in the air. But it means God is different. When the word being is attached to God, it is not a reference to a, a form or a shape, no matter how solid or wispy or how small or how humongous it might be in your mind. When Jesus taught God's people that God is spirit, he's saying God is wholly other. There is no relationship between his essence or his substance, and the essence of the creatures he had made. We can never measure God with the standards of the world. And that is why we also must confess that he is invisible. He cannot be viewed by the human eyes in his totality. Like you might be able to see another human being, even a glorified human being. Or like you might be able to see a, an angel which God can see as individual creatures with, with limits. And so while Moses stood in the cleft of the rock, he was able to see a part of God's glory as the Lord passed by him. But Moses had to understand that what he was seeing was comparable to seeing the back of a human being, which actually only reveals a, a part of what that person is like in their totality. God is invisible in his totality. Although Moses saw something of God when he saw, it says in Exodus 33, 9 to 11, that he spoke to him face to face, 
Moses saw something that revealed God's glory. He was not able to see the fullness of God because God is spirit. God is invisible. When we confess that God is invisible, that means when he gave the law on the mountain, he told the people, you saw no form of of any kind. Or we read in 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, that he is beyond our capabilities of of perceiving because he is an unapproachable light. And so even the cherubim around the throne and the vision of Isaiah 6, they, they covered their eyes. It was a recognition that God is beyond seeing all the way through. God is simply beyond the limitations of creation. He dwells in the highest heavens, we read in 1 Kings 8. And whoever saw his glory, like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Moses, when they saw a part of the glory, they they always described just a part of the things that were around him in that display of his name. And the Lord is, the Lord always has been, and we worship him in this holiness. And we'll sing that in Psalm 99, it's verses 1 and 2. He is the creator and we are creatures he is great he is incomprehensible and we are very small and yet God's holiness is a great comfort for us as his creatures it teaches us that God is sovereign and this sovereignty is is so overarching that it's It's not surprising that we cannot explain everything that is happening. We serve a holy, sovereign God. And we can trust in Him because He is holy. We can also trust in God because God is love. Genesis 1-2 really teach us about the holiness of God in His difference from all creation. He is not within His creation but he is above and outside of it. However, he is not completely disconnected from his creation. And Genesis 1-2 to also teaches that God made the universe for the creatures that he had made to rule over it. God is not just a cold, separate, spiritual being, but he is a personal being. And his creatures, he tells us, were made in his image. They were capable of representing God on the earth and in the universe. And none more fully or completely than his son who took on his human nature upon himself. The almighty, sovereign, holy creator lives in a relationship with his people. In Exodus 33 and 34, The Lord reveals his love to the mediator, Moses, who talked to the Lord. When Moses talked to the Lord, he talked about the exclusive covenant relationship that he had established with the people of God. And when we read the conversation between Moses and the Lord, we are able to see that the almighty, holy God is a personal being who loves his people. And when Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord, The Lord promised Moses that he would make all his goodness, all his goodness, pass before him. And he would proclaim his name, the Lord. 
being gracious and merciful to whom he chooses. That's in Exodus 33, verses 17 to 19. We notice that, the, that God used the word all and learned that in this, the proclamation of God's name, the Lord, we get a glimpse of all his goodness. Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, contains some of the most beautiful words in, in all of, of Scripture, capturing the fullness of the gospel that Yahweh the Lord saves. God is love. In this proclamation of God's name, we see that His sovereign holiness, what it looks like as it manifests itself in His love for all who trust in Him. It starts off, the Lord, the Lord. The name Yahweh is repeated to express the fullness of God's glory and to invoke ever-deepening tones of adoration for the sovereign, eternal, almighty, personal being who established His covenant with His people. You see why Moses in verse 8 he quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. That relationship is called a covenant. It's in this context that we are fully able to, to see and experience the holy God's everlasting love. When we're baptized, we receive a sign of the covenant. A sign that we belong to this sovereign, holy God. God is not just the only true God, but He is our God. And His, as His covenant people, the church, the recipient of the holy God's grace. The promise that follows in Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, explain that some people remain guilty and others are the recipients of God's mercy and grace. We read, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we see two things are true about God at the same time. God is just and God is merciful. And yet, there are no contradictions in the Lord. And that is what we mean when we confess that God is a simple being. God is simple. Well, in the English language, in the English language, simple has several meanings. Simple can mean easy. It's a simple math equation like we had this morning. One plus one equals two. Simple can mean plain and undecorated. That person is wearing a simple white blouse. Simple can mean of low intelligence. You could talk about a simple person. Or simple can mean composed of a single element that is not made up of compound parts. This last meaning is the one we use in our confession. God is not composed of different 
contradictory emotions, thoughts, plans, or perfections. He is always everything he has revealed at the same time. His justice is always perfectly merciful. His anger is always perfectly loving. His goodness is always perfectly wise. God is holy and love in all his perfections. And in God's decision to forgive the sins of some and yet hold others responsible for the guilt of all their sins, we are given a glimpse of God's perfect wisdom. God's perfect wisdom is related to his perfect knowledge of all things in the hearts of every person as that relates to his good plan in history. We as human beings and as Christians, we have a part in that plan. But only the perfectly wise God knows how it all fits together. And in his wisdom in carrying out his eternal plan, the Lord is also just and merciful, angry and patient, holy and forgiving, all at the same time, without any contradiction. Now, I can't imagine a human judge managing to do all those things at the same time unless he was also a very powerful and authoritative, loving father. But in God, there is no contradiction between all these actions. He is that powerful, loving father. All those things are done at the same time because God is simple. He is also immutable. That means he, he doesn't change. There's no mutations in him. He keeps his promises. He abides by the plan that he announced. In his covenant, there are promises for those who trust in him. And there are curses for those who rebel against him. You never have to look at God and, and wonder, what, what is it that he wants me to do? He's unchanging. He's very clear in his revelation. And once he made the statements to trust in him, to believe in him, to forgive, that he would forgive the sins of anyone who confessed their sins and humbled themselves before him, you know your loving God keeps his word. God is holy love. And our Lord Jesus Christ revealed this to us when he came to earth to die for our sins. It's very important to understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is as we grow in our understanding of the one true God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, the Lord reveals that our Lord Jesus Christ revealed the glory of God. And especially verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. No one has seen the Father except through Jesus Christ, who has made the Father known. That's what we read in John 1, verse 18. 
when the Son of Man took on our human nature, when He came to earth, we are given a clearer picture of the one true God who is holy, love, and all His perfections. Looking at our Lord Jesus Christ, we can see how justice and mercy can be combined in the simple God. How God can be immutable and yet forgiving. We know what it means when we confess that God is good. For as we saw in His name, the Lord did everything for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. He forgives our sins. He removes the sting of death. He accompanies us on this journey of life by His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in our lives applies all the work of Christ to our lives so that we have a clear view of God as the overflowing fountain of all good. And the point is, the truth about God, first introduced at the beginning of our confession as a bold statement, is further filled out and clarified as we move on to the later points of the confession and consider the person and the work of, of the one true God more closely. The promise is clear. The starting point is clear. There is only one God. And the mere description of His attributes, which, which is filling our minds as we're, we're trying to think about all that we've heard again this afternoon, just, just fills our minds because God is an awesome God. It brings us to our knees in worship. His name is very glorious. And we realize how humble we must be when we speak of God. We realize how humble we must be when we come into His presence to worship. We realize how inadequate our words and our pictures really are. In worship before Him, we are comforted to know that we are His children, we are in His hands, and although we can't understand everything that is happening, we do know that everything is going to be okay. He is the one true God. There are no other gods beside Him, as we sang in Psalm 135. He is the source of life and breath and everything else. We could trust in His sovereign power as He holds us, as He leans down toward us in love, as He ensures that we are completely content in His comforting care. There is only one God, and we want to worship Him with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. Amen.